0: know how, it's, how it works with the social media, and we do have a church Facebook page, and, and that's something I need to keep up with in the bulletin, we need to keep putting it in there, reminding folks, <clears throat> but this is a great way, of course, talking about a upcoming revival meeting, uh, things that we do in the church, uh, to, to keep the word out in front of the community and in front of others, and get other people to share it on their Facebook page and all of that, Um, so help us with that. Uh, we will be soon putting out a little advertisement on Facebook of the, um, revival meeting. And, and, uh, so share that. You know how, again, you all that are on the social media, you know how it works. You share it and then other people share it and, and it kind of just keeps going out. Uh, so be aware of that. Also, we could, uh, we talk about ministries in the church. We could, we could use somebody who, who is a Facebook junkie, just to take the church Facebook page and uh, keep up with it. And something that it's just kind of hit and miss. I, uh, myself, pretty much have dealt with it. That's why some of you don't know there's a Facebook page. I haven't kept up with it like I should probably. So so if that's something you say, hey, I can do that. I'm on Facebook. I know how it works. Uh, I know the ins and outs of all of that. Uh, let us know, and, and we'll give you the, the announcements. And It's just a matter of kind of keeping stuff posted, keeping it out there. But we do have that. Uh, church Facebook page, and if you're on Facebook and you didn't know, then tonight after church, don't do it right now, but tonight after church, get on your device and go on and follow the church and make sure you're doing that, okay? All this technology God has given to us. I believe that. Say, God? Does God have anything to do with this technology? I think he certainly does. I think the apostle Paul would have been blown out of his mind To have had access to the technology that we have today. Can Satan use it? Well, Satan can use music, can he? But we don't see anything wrong with using music to glorify God. God made music, God gave it to us. Satan can use anything of God's good creation. And this technology is nothing but just another part of God's good creation when God's people use it the way it's supposed to be used for his glory and for his honor. I'm using a piece of technology up here tonight with my notes on it. It's really cool. I can do my notes on a computer, and then if I lose this, I've got them on my phone. I've got them on your computer because I can get online. Isn't that amazing? My notes are on your computer. Well, in the cloud. In the cloud. All this crazy stuff that we say these days. But the technology is amazing, and God can use it, and we're thankful to have access to it. We live in a very privileged day as a truth. Well, let's read through our passage, and then we'll have prayer. Mark chapter 4. Beginning with verse 35 is where we're going to begin reading tonight. And then we'll go back again, as I said, and talk about it. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. I love this story, this passage of Scripture, and I know you it will be familiar to you. But let's just read it and then let the Lord use it in our hearts. In the same day, when the even was come, he, that is Jesus, saith unto them, that is his disciples... Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, or filling, already filling. And he was in, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep, On a pillow. And they awake him. And they say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Before we pray, the question is presented at the end. And we just read there in verse 41. What manner of man is this then? What manner of man is this, that even... The wind and the sea obey him. And this question is a question of fear. It says in verse 41, And they feared exceedingly, with a great fear. This is not a fear from the storm. That's past. This is a fear from the calm and where it came from. A greater fear had come over them when the storm was suddenly hushed. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll talk about it. Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight as we look into your word. God, may we learn more about Jesus. May we learn, uh, Lord, tonight more about our Savior, more about yourself, more about how you work, more about, Lord, faith and fear. God, I just pray that you'll use this tonight to be a comfort to us, challenge to us. God, may your Holy Spirit... Give us everything you would have us to have tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the first part of Mark chapter 4, we spoke last uh, couple times about the parables of Jesus. And of course, the parables, um, uh, it says of the kingdom, the parable of the sower, the the development from the blade, the, the seed that grew up to the full corn, the parable of the mustard seed. And so all of these parables that Jesus taught in those passages, of course, there's the Uh, The example there in verse 21 of the light, we sing the little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. So Jesus is teaching, but he's mainly using in these parables the example of a seed. And we we spoke on that the last time we were together. We used a little book, if you remember. If you were here, we had the pictures on the uh, screen of the, the book, a seed is a promise, and spoke about how a seed has life in it. A seed is to grow. The sower is casting the seed and it falls on different types of ground. The word is the seed. And that's what he tells us there in Mark chapter 4, that the word is the seed and the seed goes out upon the hearts of men and the soil is the hearts of men and the receptivity of that life going out, of that word going out into the world. And, and we saw various verses about that. And then after Jesus teaches all these parables... After he is explaining to the disciples about the parables, then he's, we saw him at the beginning of that in a ship, speaking to a multitude of people from out in the water, speaking over out to the multitude. And the Bible tells us there that uh, the same day, the same day in verse 35, when the evening was come, that he said unto them, let us go to the other side. So it was the same day he's teaching the parables, They take Jesus, um, and he tells them, and he says he wants to do something. He wants to go to the other side of this great lake um, that uh, we're familiar with from the scripture. We'll talk about more in a minute. But uh, so they do. They took him, verse 36 says, even as he was. They send the multitude away. They took him even as he was in the ship. So to me, this obviously means that he's uh, no changes were made. He didn't get off the boat and go get changed or something and get ready. He was, he was there in the ship, he was teaching. The disciples were with him. It tells us a little bit later there's other little ships there. Maybe that was some of the other disciples in their fishing boats. I don't know. But anyhow, they took him even as he was and they went on out into the lake. The multitude is dispersing. You can picture this in your mind. Uh, they launched out to go over. Um, verse 37 then. Tells us very quickly, and again, this is the way Mark does throughout his gospel. He gives us these accounts, and uh, boy, they come many times very fast. He just keeps giving accounts. And suddenly we see there in verse 37 that quite quickly they're in the middle of a great storm of wind. So the parable teaching is over. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't put up my points there a minute ago, but here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, At least that's what it said on the internet. Um, And uh, so we'll take it as the Sea of Galilee there. But the storms come up quickly. If you've ever heard anything about this Sea of Galilee and, and uh, what happens in that part of the world even today and how the wind storms can whip up uh, the way that it's located there in Israel. Um, but this was an unusual storm that they were suddenly in the middle of. It says a great storm, verse 37. There arose a great storm of wind. On the Sea of Galilee. Uh, one writer put it this way. One of those furious storms that still sweep so suddenly from the mountains and lash the sea into turmoil and unrest. The wind, having gathered force, seems literally to tumble in avalanches upon the water and beat it in the wildness. The word that Mark used here means more than an ordinary storm. It means a furious storm. Now, this must be true because the disciples think they're dying, and they think Jesus is going to die with them. And we must remember who the disciples are, of course. Um, A number of these men were used to water. They were used to boats and fishing and uh, seamen, I guess we could call them. So for them to have thought they were going to perish, they were going to die, this obviously was an unusually strong windstorm that had come down upon this lake at this time. Then we see, of course, in verse 38, that Jesus, where is he at when this happens? Well, he's in the back part of the vessel, and he's fast asleep. He's asleep uh, with his head on a pillow. The disciples are filled with worry. They're filled with alarm and great fear. Some of these men are sailors again. Unusual storm. They approach Jesus, their master. They wake him up. And they say, Master, basically what they say here is, Is it no concern to you that we are all going to die? That's what they say. Is it no concern to you, carest thou not that we perish? Have you ever said that in your life? Do you not care, Lord, that I'm just going to die? That the situation is so bad. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Is it no concern to you that we are all going to die? And by the way, it seems they included Jesus in that statement, didn't they? Verse 39, what an amazing account we have here. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose. It seems he quietly rose up from his sleeping. He looked out over the storm-tossed waters. And he did something that no, none of us would have ever thought to do. Isn't it true that we continue to see Jesus doing unusual things? Jesus saying unusual things. And, and again, we get so used to these stories and these accounts that we just sometimes we, we, we pass right over. Two things here Jesus does that nobody would have, could have made this up. This is just God at work. Jesus begins, he rises up, he looks out over the storm-tossed water. I can picture the waves beating, the water spraying him in the face too. They're all standing there holding on for dear life. And he speaks to the storm. Now, if I were to try to do that today, I told this to the children the other night. We were talking about this same story at Master Clubs. I said, how many of you, if it's ever rained or stormed and you went outside and said, stop! What would happen? Well, nothing, of course. I mean, you can go out and do a rain dance. You can try all these different things that you try to do, stop the storm. It isn't going to work. You're crazy, right? I mean, who's got that kind of power? Well, there's one who does. The one who made it. The one whose very word spoke it into existence. The one whose word is seed and life is also the word that can stop a storm and has all power. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks to a storm, and he says, peace be still. Before that, the Bible says that he rebuked the wind. He rebuked the wind. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute. One one, uh, fellow that I read said that it, it literally means he menaced the wind. He intimidated the wind. That's what I'm thinking about He intimidated, he menaced the wind. He rebuked the wind, addressing himself to the sea. And he said, literally, be muzzled. Now Jesus said this before. And again, we'll come back to it. And what was the result? The result was not a gradual calming, slowly getting better. But the picture that we get here is, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Usually, when storms begin, storms stop, they begin to stop, right? They slowly stop. They kind of dissipate, and and little by little, they go away. And that's not the picture here. The picture here is that when Jesus spoke the words and he intimidated the wind and he said, Be muzzled, and it seems he said it in anger, it obeyed him. And it obeyed him immediately, doing what he said. Verse 40. Jesus, once again, does something that nobody making up the story would have ever put in the account. He says something nobody would have ever thought he would say. We would have thought he would have turned around and said, Sorry, fellas. I fell asleep there. And, whew. He didn't say that. He, he didn't turn around and say, Man, everybody okay? <laughs> right? I mean, these are the kind of things we would think he would say. He turned around after he just, now listen, rebuked the wind. And the very same one who had the power to rebuke and intimidate the wind turned around and rebuked the men. And what was the result in those men's hearts? They feared exceedingly. Isn't it something? You know, we have to see Jesus as the Bible presents Jesus. Jesus is no wimpy man. Jesus is no uh, soft saviour. Jesus Christ has the power to speak to wind, and it obeys him. Jesus Christ looks at these men and says, why are you fearful? Why are we fearful? You know, we look at that and say, well, we thought we were going to die, right? Why are you fearful? He says that. Why are you fearful, and where is your faith? How is it that you do not yet have faith? Now, we need to understand, I believe, Jesus is saying this because he is teaching these men a lesson. They've just come away from all these parables, just come away from Jesus telling parables and Jesus teaching lessons, and Jesus is teaching another lesson. But this is a lesson with a real-life illustration. You ever have those kind of lessons from the Lord Jesus? You know, we can do the same thing, can't we? We can go to the Bible and we can learn lessons. And we ought to and we need to. And then there's those times where God brings it to real life. And then, boy, those lessons we don't ever forget, do we? Here's a real life parable. Why are you fearful? How is it that you do not yet have faith? And they feared exceedingly. The, fo- the, the, the uh, fear of the storm is suddenly all forgotten about. And the great fear that they now have is the sense of awe and wonder of who it is that they are standing in front of as they have seen his power. So tonight, Jesus, number one, is asleep. Let's see him in two ways tonight. See Jesus asleep. And that's important to see Jesus asleep. Um, why is that important? It's striking because in the very verse 38, it says, and he was in the hindered part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And the second thing we're going to see is that the second part, and they awake him. We're going to see Jesus asleep, and then we're going to see Jesus awake. And what a contrast. What a picture of the servant son of God, the man Jesus Christ, the God man Jesus Christ. Here's a man who's asleep. Why is he asleep? Because he's tired. How can a man who has the power to speak to a storm and it obeys his word be tired? This is an amazing fact, isn't it? It's an amazing thing to think about what kind of a savior we have who God literally became a man, a hundred percent God, a hundred percent man, so much a man that he is beat dog tired, so tired that he gets in that ship and it's time to move out to sea. And he goes straight to the back of the ship and lays down and goes to sleep. Haven't we seen him hard at work? We've seen him in these accounts where he is working, he is teaching. He is so much so that his family is coming to him saying he's lost his mind. He's out of his mind. He's going out into the woods by himself. People don't do that normally. In the middle of the night, stay all night out in the woods. We don't think about these things. Jesus is doing this, and he's calling these guys up to him, and he's talking to him. And the political leaders are getting really riled now because of this guy. Stirring up trouble. And they're probably going to his family, making threats. Read between the lines here with all these. But these are the way, this is the way the world works. Nothing different much today. Jesus is working. Jesus is healing. Jesus is casting out demons and devils, and we'll see that in the next account. Jesus is praying. Jesus is teaching. He's staying up long hours and he is beat. Now that's weird to think about, isn't it? To talk about the Son of God who is dog tired. And he lays down in that ship. It was toward the end of the day. And he said before he laid down to the disciples, let's go to the other side. Now that's important too. If Jesus says, let's go to the other side, where are we going to go? To the other side. We're going to get there. So he said, let's go to the other side. And he lays down and he goes to sleep. They obey his desire, apparently. And the boat was moving away. The disciples see Jesus swaying the back of the boat, taking a pillow for his head, going to sleep. A man tired. Feeling the human drain that we all feel. Ever done that before? You are so tired that you lay down. I remember one time, I don't remember what this was. It just hit me. Maybe one of the tiredest I've ever been, we were on a trip or something, and you know when you take a trip with our family, that can wear you out, right? So I just remember being in a hotel room, and I laid down on the bed, and I don't remember anything else. And that's unusual, because we have a routine, obviously, you know, we make sure everything's okay. And, and I just remember laying down, and I was out that quick. You ever been that tired? You're just exhausted. And you lay down, and you go straight to sleep. And this is Jesus, Exhausted for much work, for much strain, he needed sleep. (laughs) He needed sleep because he was 100% man. It helps us understand his sufferings when we we see this, don't we? That that he suffered just like you and I would suffer or do suffer. Um, He was able to sleep. Now that's something else to think about. Let's dwell on that for a minute. Jesus was able to sleep. Jesus is human, and Jesus is at peace. It's people who are at peace who can lay down in the situation Jesus was in, even though he's dog tired, and go to sleep. Go to sleep. Now, let's talk about this for just a minute. Three ingredients to good sleep. You say, what are you talking about? Why are we talking about sleep? Is sleep important for the Christian? It is important for the Christian. It's important to get our sleep. God made us this way. Everything's better when you get a good night's sleep, isn't it? Amen. Okay. Y'all, have agreed, y'all agree with that. We, we all know what that's like, don't we? You know, 10 o'clock at night, the problems of life are a whole lot worse than 7 o'clock in the morning, right? Many times, not all the time, but sleep does wonders. Here's a man physically tired, without mental concern, and at peace with God. And he's sleeping like a baby physically tired, without mental concern, and at peace with God. And that's a good recipe for all of us as God's people, God's Christians in this world. It's where we all ought to be. Um, Often people don't get sleep. Let me show you a verse here. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, That word means toil and anxiety. It has the idea of you're toiling over something you're anxious about. Eating the bread of sorrows. For so he, that is the Lord, giveth his beloved, that's you and me, sleep. It's God who gives us the sleep that we need. It's vain for you to rise up. The verse before that talks about, um, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except he be the one that guards the city, They labor in vain that guard the city. Because the Lord's the one that gives safety. That was my next verse that I have here. Safety is of the Lord, it says. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Some of you like to sleep with a gun near your bed. I know you do. Don't act like that. And and you feel safer that way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having and owning a gun. Be careful if you have kids. But... um, The gun is prepared against the intruder of the house, but safety is of what? The Lord. Safety is of the Lord. Does God want us to take care of our family? Of course he does. Does God want us to do everything that we can to protect one another? Nothing wrong with that. God wants us to protect each other, but if our reliance is on that, then it doesn't matter how many guns you own. It doesn't matter if you've got your house fortified with trigger bombs and and, uh, all kinds of stuff. It, it, it doesn't matter. The verse says that unless the Lord protects the home, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord's the guard and the watch, it's all in vain because safety's of the Lord. Amen. And you know, if you know that, you can lay your head down on your pillow at night and uh, have much sweeter peace and rest because your trust is in God. Your trust is in the Lord. Safeties of the Lord. Let's talk quickly here. We we had a session uh, when we had our family week last year on uh, the, the rooms of the house, remember that? And, and one of them was the bedroom, the children's bedroom, and we talked about sleep. And let me just give you a couple principles that we talked about with that because it's very practical and uh, can help us. Sleep is a part of God's good creation. Jesus is sleeping. Um, it existed before the fall. You say, how did it, you know it existed before the fall? Well, you remember what God did to Adam to create a helpmate for him? He put him to sleep, a deep sleep. He took a rib and he made a woman. Um, A 50-year-old person, a 50-year-old person has spent approximately 16 of those years sawing logs, sound asleep. Think about that. 16 years sleeping. Um, God apparently wants all of us to spend roughly that percentage of time conked out. Sleep is important. It's amazing what a good night's sleep can do. How are we to honor God in the area of sleep? Well, the Bible talks about sleep in a positive way. The Bible talks about sleep in a negative way. Uh, Positively, sleep is a blessing from God. We've already seen a couple of verses um, uh, described as sweet. Sleep is described as sweet in Proverbs chapter 3. Sleep is described as a uh, fruit of wisdom in the Bible. In a negative way, sleep is also a snare for the lazy, Sleep is a word used to describe the state prior to somebody's salvation and and, uh, uh, conversion. uh, Their sleep. And then also we see sleep used in the Bible as a type of lethargy in the church, calling for an awakening. Wake up. Wake up out of sleep. So you have these different uh, perspectives in the Bible. Now, um, a, a caution that we need to make is that trouble sleeping doesn't automatically mean a person's in sin. We know that, right? You say, oh, no, I can't sleep. And what's he going to talk about tonight? Well, um, it just because you can't sleep, of course, uh, doesn't mean that you're sinning. Matter of fact, the last thing we want someone with a sleep disorder to hear is that they're in sin, and that's really going to help them sleep, isn't it? Um, so, no, that's not that's not our goal tonight. But um, there may be multitudes of reasons a person can't sleep. Maybe pain, of course. Maybe noise. Maybe excitement. Maybe some kind of a disorder physically. Obviously not spiritual problems. Though, if there's a physical issue that is causing me not to be able to sleep, is it important as a child of God that I find out what that is? As much as I can, I mean, as much as the doctor can help me. Of course it is. God's given us this medicine that we have today and and uh, exercise. Maybe there's certain things I can do physically that would really help me sleep and would that help me spiritually in making decisions and all of that. Of course, remember our lesson on the sacred and the secular you know these things go together don't they Uh, one of the most spiritual things that i could do maybe is get some exercise and start eating right so that i can sleep so that i can have a better mentality in order to deal with people in order to study the scriptures right i mean these things just go hand in hand but sometimes sleeplessness comes as a result of anxiety or as a result of frustration and in the mind and that's a different matter Now, let's talk about quickly the slothful. A common sleep sin in the Bible is getting too much of it, right? Too much sleep. Or getting it at inappropriate times. Scripture constantly um, connects the slothful with poverty. Proverbs 19, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. What was one of the reasons that we said why Jesus is fast asleep? Because he was working hard. He was tired. He was tired because he was working hard. So slothfulness can be a problem that keeps us from getting the sleep that we should get. Someone can be dead to the world because they work very hard, someone said, but the Bible says someone can also be dead to the world because they don't work at all. Slothfulness. One of the great ways we can honor the Lord for the gift of sleep is by getting up early, getting up early. Some of you say, well, that's me. I get up early every morning. I can't help it. My, my inner alarm clock goes off. Well, it is something for us to think about, especially our young people maybe, to think about that and uh, know that that's a good principle. Was it Ben Franklin that uh, gave us that very famous principle, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise? Well, I don't know about all that, but but I'm sure it's a good principle about getting to bed early and getting up early. Um, a blessing of hard work, real work, it brings the blessing of sleep. And again, Jesus worked. Well, we have the slothful and then we have the anxious. One of the things that robs Christians of sleep is worry and anxiety and stress. And again, be careful. It wouldn't be helpful to begin worrying about whether one worries too much, right? But we know where we are. Psalm 4 Listen to this passage. Stand in awe and sin not. You know, these guys on this boat were standing in awe of their God. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. And put your trust in the Lord. And in a few verses down, it ends, that Psalm 4 with saying... I will both lay me down in peace and what? Sleep, David said. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. There's a good recipe for sleep right there. Standing in awe of God, communing with your own heart upon your bed, working hard, you're tired, connection with God is what it should be, no known sin between me and God, it's been forgiven, been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. Peace with God, and then the Lord makes us to dwell in safety. Humble yourselves, in the, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him. Why? For He careth for you. He careth for you. First Peter 5, 6-7. God cares for us. We shouldn't have the wrong view of God. He does love us. Yes, He is righteous. Yes, He is holy, Yes, he gets angry at sin, and we are to have faith in him, and things may not always go according to our plan. We'll get to that at some point in this message. But however, he's tender, the Bible says, with his people. He's tender with his people. We should strive to be anxious for nothing and present our petitions before the Lord with thanksgiving. Sometimes we present our petitions and then spend the next three hours tossing and turning. Someone gave this thought that I thought was good. If the devil is keeping you from sleeping or waking you up, do something that will thoroughly discourage him. He will wake you up to get you to worry. You ever had that problem? Put something in your head, put something in your mind. Even in your prayers, Satan can do that. And that's probably a lot of fun for him to watch. But he won't get you up to sing songs of thanksgiving to God. He won't get you up... To read your Bible, there's no return in that for him. So think about it. You say, my mind's spinning. I can't get this. I'm worried about this. I'm stressed about this. Pull out that Bible and Satan will start whispering a little song in your ear to try to get you to go to sleep. Well, I don't know if he'll do that or not, but it's something to think about, isn't it? Start singing the praises of Jesus Christ. A little practical thing to help us. So we see Jesus asleep and then second, we see Jesus awake. We see Jesus asleep, and in the same verse, and they awake him. Verse 38, and they awake him. The disciples come and they wake him up. It's obviously not the danger of threat that awakens awakens Jesus, but it's the calling out and the crying out of his children. Someone said that's kind of like a mother. You can have all these babies crying, screaming, whatever, around, and she doesn't, you know, whatever, but when she hears her child, she's up. She knows, she goes, she takes care of it. There's that sense. In Jesus Christ, the disciples come and they cry out to him and they call out to him and he wakes up. He looks out on the storm and he says, peace, be still. This word, peace, be still, these words, again, we mentioned it a minute ago, it's the same words he used when he cast out demons. Same phrase, same words. He would say, be muzzled. Peace, be still. Be quiet. With all authority. And the demons would obey him. And with the same words he says to the storm. And the storm obeys him. It's interesting. um, These words again seem to suggest anger. He's headed to the other side of the lake. Where we know in the story. He's going to meet this man coming out of the tombs. And talk to this demonic spirit called Legion. And there's literally. Sounds like a thousand or more demons. Demons in this man. We have here a mixture of something going on. Now, I, we can't be dogmatic about any of this stuff, but many have believed that what is taking place in this story is demonic activity. Now, I don't know that. Can, can, the, can the spirit world have control in the weather and all of that? There seems to be some indication in the Bible. We see the story of Job, right? That the, the Satan wanted to attack Job. And some of the things Satan did seemed to involve whirlwinds and weather. Much of this is mystery to us, isn't it? But it is interesting that when Jesus spoke, he used words of intimidation. He said, be muzzled. Same phrase as he uses when he casts out demons. We see where he's headed, and it all obeys him. A man with all power. This Jesus awake is a man that has power that no man has ever had. Power over demons, power over nature. This is the Son of God who was asleep, who's now awake. And what's interesting is, someone pointed this out, I thought it was so interesting, the true problem. What's the true problem that Jesus is facing? It's not a storm of wind beating down that everybody thinks they're going to die from. The true problem in this story that God has to deal with is not the storm over the waters, but it's the stilling of the storm in the humans. It's the stilling of the storms inside of here that seems to limit God. Now we have to be careful saying limit God, but God willingly being limited from the storms inside of us, right, that he has the most problem with. That maybe would, we could say is a harder work for God, the storm inside of us. With a word from Christ, the storm on the sea immediately obeys him. Calm, it's gone. But he has to ask these men, why are you fearful? Why do you not have faith yet? And an even greater fear comes over them. Let's apply that to us tonight. Had they not seen all that Jesus had done? Had they not seen the examples of Christ's power up to this point? We've listened to a song as a family from Pensacola that the ensembles used to sing down there called With All the Many Miracles, Why Don't You Think It's Possible? Right? With all the things He's done for us, don't you think it's time? we trust. And the song goes on about that, uh, about that principle. With all the things that we've seen, with all that he's done, the Lord has given us all that we need to believe him and trust him. Why do we have so many inner storms of fear? He is the ever-living one whom we can trust. We see in this account the mighty one willingly limited in the presence of the human soul, but he's going to have his way with them eventually. He's teaching them. And that's the point to see. These men are going to, not long from now, they're going to watch their Savior be crucified. Then they're going to observe his resurrection from the dead. He's going to ascend into heaven, and they're going to go out into an evil world. And they're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're going to turn the world upside down with it. Somebody said, actually, they're going to turn the world upside right with it. They're going to go out into the world, but you talk about some fearful situations. And I thought of this. I thought, don't we read it in Acts of Peter? Peter is one of these guys on the boat, and he's chained between two Roman soldiers, and what is he doing? He's asleep. Oh, isn't that interesting? He's asleep. And the angel has to come and kick him in the side to wake him up, to get him out of there. These men are getting ready to go into some very, very scary situations as they go out with seed spreading this life, spreading this word of Jesus Christ everywhere they go, and they're going to never forget this account, that the master of earth and sea and sky is with them, and they need to have faith, and they need not fear, and this is a parable specifically for these men closest to him, and of course, it applies to us as well. Um... They had forgotten, though, in this instance, everything in view of the danger that they were facing. And again, after he rebukes the storm, he rebukes these men. He's teaching them. It was not the storm that filled them with fear at the end of the story, but it's the calm and what Jesus says to them. Who then is this man? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Someone said the idea is, almost seems to be that Jesus was saying, you shouldn't even have woken me up. Shouldn't have even woken me up. You should have had faith to believe. If he says we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. Now, could some scary things have happened to them? Or did some scary things happen on the way to the other side? Yes, it did. And yes, it can. Um, we will never understand the power and authority of the master unless at times we go through the storms. Is that true? I, that's easy to preach, right? That's easy to listen to. But it's true, and it's hard to live it out, but it, we must remember this. We must learn these lessons. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Let me give you this last point here tonight. Faith. It's easy to talk about having faith. It's easy to talk about believing God. Is faith believing that everything's going to go according to plan? Jennifer and I talked about this earlier before choir practice tonight. Is faith believing that everything is going to go according to plan? Well, the question is whose plan? Whose plan are we talking about? Jesus, you said we were going to the other side, right? What's all this about? Have you ever been there before? Jesus, you said there were promises for me. You said this is what we were going to accomplish. You said this is what we were going to... Now, what's this all about, Lord? Well, that's where faith comes in. What is faith? Faith is believing what God says, His promises, but it's the evidence of those things that are not seen. Um... Let's think, was there ever anybody in the Bible that uh, had these kinds of issues and had to have this kind of faith? What about Job? (laughs) Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. What about, again, these disciples? We might die in this boat. Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? But he is here. He's here. And he has said he's going to work it all out. We must trust him. What about Abraham taking his son up onto that altar? But God, you promised. This is the child of promise. This is who you said nations were going to come out of. And what did God ask him to do? I mean, we just read these things, right? God said, take your son and sacrifice him to me. That seems kind of harsh to us, doesn't it? That seems hard to us. And yet we can learn about our God. We can learn about the situations we go through in life and what it really means to have faith. God, this isn't going according to plan. This isn't what you said. Obey me. Obey me. That's having faith in God. And so Abraham takes his child up, of course, and we know the story, right? Does it all work out for God's glory and Abraham's good and our good? It does every time if we trust God. But it's got to go according to his plan. By the way, Jesus went to an old rugged cross. What appeared to be the greatest tragedy in history, which what was the greatest tragedy in history, ends up being the greatest victory in history. This is the way of our God. God told me but this wasn't the plan. My plan is what to me feels safe. Feels safe. No one ever said that living for God was safe. In the Bible nowhere says that. Living for God isn't safe. We as Americans don't like that, do we? Living for God isn't comfortable all the time. No one ever said that. It's supposed to be. But God, does He keep His promises? Does He know what He's doing? Does He work all things out for our good and His glory in the end every time? Does it mean we may go through hard times living by faith? Yes, Does it mean it might hurt sometimes? Yes. Does he know best? Yes. He knows best. I have no idea what God's going to do. No idea. And when I read stories like this, I realize I don't know that I want to know what God's going to do, right? I just want to live day to day by faith in the will of God, right? Trusting him, looking unto him, but this ought to strengthen our faith. But realizing that whatever comes, whatever storm, whatever change of plan it looks like is happening, he's in the boat. And if he's in the boat, it's all going to be okay. It's all working out. It all is according to plan, his plan. Let him have his way. Let him have his way. But God, this hurts. It does, doesn't it? It hurts sometimes and it hurts deeply. But in the end, we can remember we're his children. He is working out His plan. Fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits is peace. And He gives that peace even in storms. And He gives that mental help where we don't have the concern and peace with God and we trust Him. He gives that sleep, that peace. We can trust our Savior. Let me give you these words to this song and we're done. Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is o'ershadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep? The chorus of that song says, The winds and the waves shall obey obey thy will. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea, or demons, or men, or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, peace be still. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to learn this lesson. God, we thank you for the peace that you give to us when we trust in you. Lord, you're so good to us. Help our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.